Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Games Rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, desperate to thrust my opinions on you. And bursting my way through the abdominal walls, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 28th of January 1993. Would you, Adam and Eve, it? There's a new number one at the top. Nope, just kidding. It's Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. But there is a new film at the top of the box office. It's Deep Cover. The great thing about life on the street is you know how it's going to be. It's always the same. It's always getting worse. Hasta la vista! On these streets, one color rules. Green. It's not 10 kilos we want, we want 20. Listen, you're taking a lot away for a guy we hardly know, John. Where are you moving this stuff? He's going to get you busted. No, he won't. On these streets, nothing's what it seems to be. Is that our bust? Yeah. Well, who is he? Listen, John here got busted, but he kept his mouth shut. On these streets, he'd be the perfect criminal if he wasn't the perfect cop. Never seen this one. I haven't either, and I wish I had, because you know what? It's got quite a cast to it. Lawrence Fishburne's in it, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, the trailer's really good as well. Thankfully, we have Wikipedia to help us for films that we haven't seen. (laughs) And apparently in this film, as you've also just heard a bit from the trailer, Larry Fishburne plays a police officer who goes undercover in a sting operation in Los Angeles to bring down a West Coast drug cartel. Mm -hmm. Film got positive reviews. It was likened by some critics to a modern film noir, which... I always take with a pinch of salt, but it was notable for its theme song of the same name as it was composed by Dr. DRE and the then newcomer S-N-O-O-P-D-O-G Snoop Dogg. I have never felt more white. (laughs) Dre and Snoop did the song. That's cool. Yeah, it went on to make a respectable 16.6 mil in North America and the critics were okay. 
like they didn't set the world on fire, but it got no. But even Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars out of four with his wow. weird. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me! I refuse to go with five or ten system. <laughs> it's four, but I'll also do half marks. But yeah, no, I enjoy the trailer watching it, and if I ever get the time. And it's like, you know, it's available on a streaming service. I might say to my wife that we should probably check it out at some point. Because, you know, I think it could probably be pretty good. I, I do like an early 90s noirish type thing. You know, as I said, I've been saying recently, I've been re-watching the Lethal Weapon movies. And I and I really enjoy this. And I watched them um, Cape Fear and Basic Instinct. I'm kind of sort of in like a an early 90s adults movie mode at the moment it's almost like this podcast is seeping its way into other aspects of your life it's incredible really i'm basically stuck in the early 90s i'll be honest i've been watching a lot of early 90s films and listening to a lot of early 90s music and i think it's because my tastes are different now and so i have realized there was a lot i missed Mm. i'm also watching a lot of crap (laughs) <laughs> I have watched more canon films in the past month Wow, than nice. I think in the past two years. I have watched all of the Death Wish sequels. <laughs> uh, well, we've got no big releases this week. So, Ash, what's going on in the magazines? Well, there are many features that are in common between different magazines. All magazines have reviews, all magazines have previews, they have a news section. But one thing that is definitely exclusive to Games Master magazine is the ability to bask in the glory of Dom's big purple column. We're all here for it. Literally a unique selling point of the magazine. Now there's some consistent features. He has a little bit of a chat about what's been going on, uh, references some of the stuff that happened on television. He does a top five of games. Unsurprisingly, Sensible Soccer is at number one on this one. But pleasing to me at number five, Pilot Wings makes an appearance. Oh, cool. And it makes an appearance on this episode as well. It is. It's all Almost like the magazine and the television show (laughs) are tied. There are some other features as well, some of which are regular, some of which are one-off. One feature that caught my eye was Villain of the Month. It's that part of the column when I have a go at someone or something that's been making my nips a little bit frosty. This is where basically he has an axe to grind. Yeah, yeah. There's an Indian restaurant in Birmingham called, inventively enough, the Taj Mahal. It advertises a strange thing called a He-Man's Grill. I and the editor of this fine organ, perchance, purchased the aforementioned grill, and behold, it comprised of two chops, two sausages, scrambled egg, and four chips. Huh. It wasn't terribly He-Man, more of a girl's knickers grill. (laughs) These men are villains. Beware of any restaurant offering He-Man grills. Now, you know what? Two chops, two sausages. That sounds fine. That sounds okay. Scrambled eggs? Mm, I'd have rather had a fried egg at that point. Four chips. It's the four chips that gets me, to be honest. Now, I'm watching a lot of MasterChef because they've just put a couple of old seasons on Netflix and my wife and I are sad enough that we're re-watching episodes of, of MasterChef that we've already seen. And they do like the stack of chips. But you get at least nine there because it's three on three on three. Getting four seems a bit weird. And also, they're fancy chips. Triple cooked, mate. Oh, oh, that's, that's nice. But this is... This is curry house chips. This isn't fancy. This is what you get for the granny that doesn't want a curry. She has an omelette and chips. Yeah. That's what that menu is there for. It's for grannies and kids who want to say they went to an Indian <laughs> restaurant without actually embracing any of the goddamn culture. 
I've actually fallen into a bit of a rabbit hole recently. There's a YouTube channel that I got recommended called Owl's Kitchen, who is a bloke who just decided that he wanted to work out how to make British Indian restaurant curries and is on a quest to make them all and kind of perfect them all. And he's got various different base gravies that he does. He has different beers with each one that he's, he's having a whale of a time making his own little channel. He's just doing it as a side piece. And it's pretty lovely really oh that sounds great but the other bit of dominic's purple column to drag ourselves kicking and screaming back to the magazine (laughs) was closing credits this is the part of the column when i detail one of the people whose names appear on the credits at the end of games master you can cut out and keep this series and all your mates will think you're sad (laughs) well i'm reading it on a pdf on an ipad 25 years or more after publication who's the sad one now (laughs) it's me it's probably me I even highlighted it with a pen, a digital pen. (laughs) I think the lockdown's getting to me. But anyway, this month, Cameron McAllister, director. And he's been been director for a long old time on Games Master. And Dominic very succinctly puts what he does. He says, basically, Cameron decides what the show will look like. He is responsible for all those really lovely swooping camera shots. I mean, technically the director of photography as well, but, (laughs) you know, we'll let it slide. Anything you see in the show and think, Cool. That looks nice. (laughs) I mean, he's not responsible for the Neo Geo joysticks. No. Which is often the things that I see and go, cool, that looks nice. (laughs) He is responsible for Dominic's red jacket. He says, my red jacket brackets respect to Cameron. So clearly he did have a different opinion about the red jacket at some point, or he was taking the piss. I was going to say, because he fucking hates it now. To be honest, if you believe him, he hated it then. (laughs) Number four, the emergence of Auntie Marisha as a mature sex symbol. (laughs) I'm not going near that one. Number five, being the first person in the entire world to complete pilot wings six million times. Ah, so Cameron's a fan of pilot wings. Can't fault the man's taste in games. No, yeah, but I just wonder if that comes into play because it's the second time that it's come up in this series alone. It is, but this time I think it could genuinely be because the kid wanted to challenge him on it. Yeah, maybe. It, yeah, it, had, yeah. a, it had an air of truth to it. Number six, wearing dodgy roll neck jumpers that make him look like the captain bloke from Tintin. <laughs> Number seven, and an interesting one, this one, genuinely interesting... He's the voice at the starter Games Master telling the helicopter that it is clear to land. Oh, nice. I know. That was probably the best one. That and the red jacket, because yeah. you hear that voice at the beginning, and I did wonder, who is that? I thought it might have been one of the journalists, might have been one of the commentators. Could have been anyone, really, yeah. They could have hired a voice actor specifically for it. Nope, it's the director. That's cool. Well. What a lovely whistle there. Welcome to Games Master and a special big hello to viewers in Luxembourg. I don't know quite why we're appearing on your televisions, but your individual channels are a joy to behold. Our vacationing video game fans are straining at the leash, so let's give them some relief with a medicinal trip to Games Master. Just before we came on mic to record this, we kind of talked about how the crowd was a bit weird for this show. Like They were quite dead for some points. It felt like the air horns were sort of filling in for the fans. But someone gives Dominic Diamond a very nice wolf whistle at the start of this show. I reckon it was the director. (laughs) Or Neil West. Could have been. He's all over this episode. I was almost ready for him to go for a triple on this one. I thought we were going to get him as commentator on all three. I don't think that's ever happened. I mean, it probably will do later on because I think Dave Perry just takes over. I mean, Dave Perry definitely takes over doing all the commentary with Dexter Fletcher. I don't think it'll happen in series two. 
with Dexter Fletcher, Dave Perry becomes omnipresent, almost like Tattoo in Fantasy Island. You know, wherever <laughs> Ricardo Montalban is, there's Dave Perry. <laughs> Who is now a tattoo artist. It all joins together. <laughs> So it turns out they're airing in Luxembourg as well, but they're not sure why. I couldn't tell if this was serious or not. No. <laughs> but regardless of why they're appearing on their televisions, apparently their individual channels are a joy to behold. I just had a quick check. I thought I'd go into the back-end system where we load our podcast and see if we've had any listeners from Luxembourg. And lo and behold, yes, we have. So maybe Gamesmaster did air over in Luxembourg. Hello. To our Luxembourg listeners, your individual podcasts are quite frankly delightful. (laughs) If you hear this, get in touch. Let us know who you are. That's great. I need to look at this map because I'm curious as to where we've got listeners, because I know a couple that we've got overseas, but I'm really curious to see how we've travelled across the world and how many of them are expats or how many of them are just people that, I'll be honest, are probably listening because of you. (laughs) Well, it's time to get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Greetings, and welcome to the Games League. I've decided to launch tonight's show with some gut-wrenching, stomach-churning action on Alien 3. Tonight's first young lamb to the slaughter has just two minutes to rescue all eight hostages and then exit the first level of the game. Remember, <laughs> in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> Absolutely too f***ing right. We're playing Alien 3. I bloody love this game. So does Games Master, and dear Lord, he goes full-on Ash from Alien. He goes homicidal towards the end. I He's know, He's wanting right? this kid to fail. Now, there is a little bit of inconsistency here because Games Master says that he's got two minutes. Dominic says he's got two and a half minutes, and then the game starts, and he has got two minutes. Yeah, I made a note of that. Bursting his way through the abdominal walls of this challenge from West London, please welcome Shango Stapleton. Welcome, Shango. How you doing? Fine. Now, Shango, this is a very tough challenge we've set you. What's going to be the most difficult thing about it? Time. So how long have we set you? About two minutes. About two minutes. That's very, very tough indeed. Are you confident, though? Yeah, I'm very confident. All right. Well, you certainly sound it, Django. I mean, let, let's talk a little bit about the challenger because he's a young kid. I've got his name down as Shango Stableton. Yes, I believe that is his name. Shango or Shanga. But either way, he's introduced and he comes down. And first thing I can say is this kid is blinging. This kid oh, yeah. has got an amazingly shiny jacket. He's got a big old hat with a metal plate across the front. And he is shy as all get out. Isn't he, Jess? He's a proper little shy lad. I feel bad for him as well, because as we said, the crowd are muted and he doesn't so much get a round of applause. He gets a golf clap. Mm. Dominic asks Shango how he's doing and he's like, fine. Dominic points out this is a very difficult challenge and asks what the toughest thing is. Time. (laughs) Dominic asks how long he's been set. About two minutes. Dominic asks if he's confident. And Shango says, I'm very confident in about the least most confident way I've ever heard anyone say they're confident. I love Dominic Diamond even making reference to that. I was like, well, you sure sound it. Bless him. Dominic's doing his best because particularly with kids like this, he's not going to punch down and he's trying to draw a little bit out. 
And I'll be honest, first time I watched this episode back, I was like, this is going to be a slaughter. Mm. How wrong I was. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. Now, you love Alien 3 the game. Absolutely love Alien 3 the game. I love it even more now because you've given me a much better cover for it. Oh, of course. You know what? I forgot I'd done that. I fixed the spine for you. <laughs> You fixed the spine for me. And people who like follow us on, on our Instagram page will see that I'm using Mega Drive games as a as a temporary like uh, laptop platform at the moment, so that I'm not sort of like craning my neck to watch it. And the Alien 3 box that you redid for me is part of that stack because I really like the aesthetic of it. It is a terrible idea not to put the name on the spine, particularly of things like the Mega Drive games, which they're plastic cases. They were like VHS dual cases. You wouldn't release a video without a name on the spine. No, you would not. We've talked about the Alien films before a bit. Alien 3 is probably my least favourite of the four original. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. But thankfully, this game, for the most part, ignores a lot of the film. It keeps the fact that it's a prison planet. It keeps the fact that Ripley has shaved her head. And that's about it because there are hundreds of aliens. She's got tons of weapons. (laughs) And it's a much more enjoyable experience as a result. And on most platforms, it's pretty much the same game. The Game Boy becomes a top-down shooter. But from the NES on up, apart from that... The game we see here, just in differing levels of ability, and for the most part by the same developer, which I think is quite rare when you come to this many different platforms. And I think we've spoken about this before on the show, but like, I'm I'm a fan of the Mega Drive version, but I'm controversially not that hot on the SNES uh, port of the game. But I think you 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 like the SNES version, don't you? It's what I grew up with. Mm. Oh, I absolutely love this game. Do you know what? I don't think I've ever finished it. Like, I really should sit down and just have another crack at actually getting through the whole game because i don't think it's not particularly tough like really it's a memory game because the idea if you've not played the game before is you've got to rescue the hostages and basically the way to do it is to know the route like our lad here knows the route to get the hostages on this level and make the escape because every level is timed so if you don't know the route you will often run out of time so it really becomes a case of just knowing the quickest path. And if you play it long enough and you know the best routes, then you are going to get through it. But if you are just playing it blind, then you may struggle at times. Something which I didn't know, and which maybe this will be the next version I go and check out, the Master System version has a two-player mode. Huh. I want to know how that works, because it isn't until the next film that we get Ripley clones. <laughs> so are you playing as Paul McGann? Are you Brian Glover? Are you an angry, shouty Londoner running around going, bloody hell? Staying firm and proud by my side once more is Neil West from Mega. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Dominic. Now, Neil, the time is quite tight on this challenge. Two and a half minutes. Can you help Shango along at all? Well, you're right. It is a tough challenge. Um, He's got four weapons at his disposal. Um, I think he should be better off sticking with the flamethrower, though. He's going to have to be careful because ammo is limited. Okay, let's hope he bears that in mind. Shango has to rescue all eight hostages and exit the level in two and a half minutes. Standing firm and proud next to Dominic Diamond for this challenge is Neil West, who makes the suggestion to use the flamethrower, but be careful because you don't want to run out of ammo. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think Shango rarely busts out the flamethrower because the pulse rifle is what you need to use. He uses the pulse rifle because the pulse rifle... You've got your da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Absolutely, it's all you need. I think that Dominic Diamond made the error when he said it was two and a half minutes, because if I remember correctly, and it's been a while since I've played Alien 3, but on one of the game modes, 
it just gives you two minutes to do the level. So maybe there was just a bit of miscommunication, but he has got two minutes and this kid knows the route. He knows exactly the route to take in order to get through this as quickly as possible. He does, although as soon as he starts, he gets pounced on by a Randy Xenomorph. And it is a bit, oh dear, is this going to be another road rash? Are we just going to see him (laughs) getting mowed down by alien after alien? But one, no, that doesn't happen. Two, as soon as he's back on his feet, he turns around and with no real need, shoots that alien. (laughs) He's out for revenge. He is Charles Bronson in Death Wish 3. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so much does this kid know the route that he is blowing up the doors with a grenade launcher before he's even seen the door is there. Like there's one point when you get onto the elevator section and he gets onto the elevator, shoots across and you hear an explosion off screen. And I knew I was like, there's a door over there and he's already blown it up. That's a smart kid. He's already saving himself some time. He doesn't rescue the first prisoner until 23 seconds have gone by, but He is setting up where to go. And from then, it just flows by. 118 left, he's got two prisoners, then three. 55 seconds, he hits a halfway point, and he's only got four prisoners left to rescue. So halfway through the challenge, and he's halfway there. Yeah. He has to do the air duct bit, which I'd be honest, I'd completely forgotten about. And he does very well in that. He doesn't mess about. He doesn't tangle with the guys that are hidden in the tunnel. No, and there's a couple of dead ends in that section as well. And he gets into this new area, he picks up another couple, and he's got two left to get and 20 seconds on the clock. He gets those last two with just over 10 seconds left, and then it's running all the way to the exit, and he hops, skips, and jumps off screen with two seconds left. Man alive, that was a great challenge. It was ace. Absolutely ace. I really, really loved that as an opening challenge. It's just, it's great speed running stuff. Like it is, it's one of those great timed challenges. You've got a goal in mind. You've got to get the right routes. You've got to see the kid play the game brilliantly. He's shooting aliens that are off screen, like, because he knows that they're there. I, I loved it. Thought it was great. Now, Shango, we said. We said at the beginning, Shango, it was a very, very tough time. You did it with two seconds to spare. Were you ever worried at all? Nah, not a bit. Not a bit? (laughs) No, it was just as easy as eating a piece of cake. (laughs) Well, listen, congratulations, Shango. And he finally shows a little bit of character because when he wins, he waves his fists in the air and does the number one. He does the (laughs) number one hand gesture, which I thought was absolutely adorable. And Dominic goes down for the post-match and just says, that was absolutely incredible. That was a tough challenge. Was there ever a time you were worried? Now, the kid still sounds pretty shy, but he goes, nah, it was like eating a piece of cake. (laughs) (laughs) Loved that. Absolutely loved that. That was so good. What a challenge to start with. We've had a couple of tight challenges, but... That was, I think, one of my absolute favourite close to the knuckle challenges. Yeah, I think it's one of my favourites from Series 2 as well. I've, I really, really enjoyed that. It might just be as well because I love the game, but yeah, I thought it was a wicked challenge. So I guess my next question is, is you've recreated the Taz challenge. <laughs> Are you going to attempt the Alien 3 challenge? I did think about this. I'm going to be doing some editing on Monday, I think. So once I've got that finished, maybe I'll set it up and I'll have a pop at the Alien one as well. Hey, if you can eat a piece of cake, <laughs> you, you can do this challenge. That's all there is to it. This week, erudite plot lines are replaced with no holds barred action as we look at shoot 'em ups. First up on the Game Boy, shoot lots of things in monochrome with this conversion of the spanking Amiga classic, Xenon 2. 
San Jose is a very famous game, and this Game Boy conversion is a pretty decent conversion. Far one problem. It's very slow. The slower game speed actually makes it a lot easier than the Amiga version. But that said, you're still going to find yourself with very little hair at the end of the last level. I'd only recommend this to dedicated shooter mod fans who are starved with a good blast. I wouldn't buy it myself. Well, it's shoot 'em ups in the review zone this week, and our motley crew features Jazz Rignall from Me Machines, Dave Upchurch from The One, and Robert Dunleavy, who we haven't seen since episode four. He was the one who appeared this time without, or that time without glasses, slagging off River City Ransom and saying TMNT was boring and for kids. Well, guess what? He's wrong about some of the stuff here as well. <laughs> and first up, we've got Zenon 2 on the Game Boy. Jazz says it's a good conversion of the famous game, but it's very slow. He's not wrong, and also that did make me laugh. He's just like, what really problem? Good. Slow. <laughs> nice bit of character there from Jazz. Dave says the speed makes it a lot easier, but you will still have low health when he gets to the end of it. And Rob says he'd only recommend it to dedicated fans who want a good blast. He wouldn't get it. Well, yeah. you know what? I was about to say no one asked his opinion, but technically Games Master <laughs> did. 68% for Zenon 2 on the Game Boy. Uh, we've talked about Zenon 2 in the past. We do get to hear a lovely version of the theme I know, from right? the Game Boy chip as well, just while it's getting that 68% score. So 68% for the game, solid 85 for the interpretation of the theme. It is a good 8-bit rendition of that fantastic Mega Blast track. Now, this came out for the Game Boy. It actually came out towards the end of 1992. It wasn't the last version of the game published. A version came out for the Amiga CD32. There was a SNES version announced, but never came out. And I think that's a shame because I think that would have been a good version. It might have still mm. suffered a bit from slowdown because, I won't argue this, the SNES was slower than the Mega Drive, or rather, games didn't run as fast. We weren't going to get something as bleedingly fast as Sonic 2 on the SNES. But that's okay, because we had other games. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Different horses, different courses. But I would love to have seen what Xenon 2 for the SNES looked like. And I would have loved to have heard what the SNES version of the Xenon 2 Ooh, soundtrack that Yamaha sounded chip. like. That Yamaha yeah. chip would have been nice, yeah. The CD32 version did actually include an official remix of Mega Blaster. It had a different version of the music on there as well, at CD quality. Oh, cool. Now, that was in the 90s. However, if we fast forward to 2016, a version was released for the Atari Jaguar. No way. It was created by a fan. It was released with Mike Montgomery's blessing, and it included a new soundtrack. What? I know. Possibly because they can get the blessing of the creator to release the game. <laughs> but you don't want to mess around with music copyright. Oh, no. Absolutely not. I know, and they were already basically messing around with the music copyright by doing Assault on Precinct 13. Well, quite. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and check that out. Although the problem is, is I literally have no way to play it. I don't even have an Atari Jaguar emulator to hand. Oh, I actually have an Atari Jaguar. Wow. <laughs> what games do you have for it? Uh, I've got the, the, the standard one. What the hell is it called? The Cybermorph, yeah. It came with a copy of that, and I think a copy of Doom. I think that's all I have. I bought it like secondhand many, many years ago, and it came with those two games. And I played it Cybermorph for a bit, and then it's gone into storage. The Jaguar was another one of those consoles that I was tempted by when it was new. I regret not getting a 3DO. 
I don't regret not getting a Jaguar. Yeah, I, I mean, I've certainly been unfair to it because I bought it while I was between houses. So I've never really had the chance to have it when I was in a house, I can like properly sit down and, and build a collection or, or get some stuff for it. It was very much like I had it, didn't really have anywhere to put it. So I had to go into storage with all the rest of my stuff. Next up on the Super NES, Axley. Shoot lots of things again, but this time it's in six levels of 3D Technicolor. Brilliant Mod 7 graphics, decent enough sound, but I can't help thinking that's just a remake of an old overused genre. Axley is a top shoot mod, but I think it's a bit tough, perhaps for younger people. Oh, well, I enjoyed it, so why shouldn't you? The first level's pretty tough. Uh, it gets easier after that, which is a bit strange, but still. It's a great game. Shoot 'em up fans will absolutely love it. On the Super Nintendo, we've got Axley. Rob says it's a decent Mode 7 game, but feels like a remake of an older game. Uh, and Dev says, I, I love Dave's comment of like, well, I enjoyed it, so why wouldn't you? I mean, I agree more with him than I do with the little oik. <laughs> I mean, saying it feels like a remake of an older game. It's a scrolling shoot 'em up. It's a wheel. You can't reinvent it. Looks cool, though. It does. It makes amazing use of Mode 7. I actually played either this or the second one on uh, one of the Twitch streams recently. Oh, cool. I was terrible at it. <laughs> And finally, Jazzman says that it gets easier after the first level, which is a bit strange, but it's still a great game. 87%. Good score. Good score. And one that's borne out by other people. It's considered by a lot to be a classic of the genre. Superplay listed it number 36 on its list of the top 100 SNES games of all time in the mid-90s. And even Nintendo Power called it the 18th best game on the Super Nintendo in their list, I guess, of top games on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> But it was included in the 2010 book as well of 1,001 video games you must play before you die. Well, you know what? That's one off the list. <laughs> I might get that book and see how many of those I've actually achieved because I reckon I'm probably past the halfway point. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a fun YouTube channel project. Cool, with all the spare time I don't have. <laughs> yeah. Finally, on the NES, Probotector 2. The year is now 2634 and lots of things are still getting shot. Now it scrolls sideways over eight very tough levels. It's quite playable. There's plenty to shoot. There's some decent extra weapons. It's good fun. If you die, you lose all the special weapons you've collected so far. So if you die in an area where there aren't any other special weapons, you're in trouble. And lastly, for the NES, it's Probotector 2. Jazz says it's quite playable. But then Rob has this really, like, I'm, I'm going to guess that Rob's not played a Probotector or Contra game before because he says... You collect weapons, then you die, and you lose all of your weapons, which he it kind of insinuates that makes the game bad. But it's like, yeah, it's just the way that the games are. Oh, you, you die in an area with no power-ups, and that means that you don't have any power-ups. Oh, well, you know what you need to do, mate? You need to stop sucking at the game. <laughs> if you stop sucking at the game, then you'll do better, and you won't die in an area without any power-ups. Probotector is meant to be hard as balls, Rob. 80% for that, though, so another very good score for the NES. It's also another one in the long and storied history of what the hell is going on with Konami in this series. <laughs> because, OK, it was originally called Super Contra, which is odd because at the time, tagging Super onto the front was where we were going with the Super Nintendo series of games. It was also known as Super Contra The Alien Strikes Back. It was originally released as a coin-up arcade game. And then in North America, the title was shortened to Super C. Mm -hmm. And over in Europe, because we're not allowed people shooting aliens, it was robots as Probotector 2, Return of the Evil Forces. And 
it makes it really difficult researching this game because, dear Lord, there's five different titles that you have to search for on Google. But I did actually sit and play this for a while the other week. And you know what I can tell you? It is hard as balls. Oh, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough old game. Well, remarkably, it's another week without a feature. So we're going straight into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Nothing beats a good grapple. And that's precisely what I've chosen for tonight's second <coughs> blast and double blast. I will get my revenge on those birds one of these days. Where was I? Oh, yes. <clears throat> the game I've chosen is called World Heroes. Another one of those free fight beat your opponent to a pulp extravaganzas. Don't forget to use each warrior's array of special moves, as it is with these that you inflict most damage on your opponent. May unseemly conduct abound. Poor old Kane's master gets shot upon once again. Yeah, those seagulls have really got it in for him, but it's okay. He gets a bit of a hose down and then gets his helmet buffed. Very, very nice. Those mutant seagulls back once again. He's going to get his revenge one day. Anyway, we are playing World Heroes on the Neo Geo. It's one of those fighting games where you've got the best of three rounds, uh, and he suggests using those special moves. Um, good game, World Heroes. I really like it. It was uh, ADK's first fighter. Um, really well was received in Japan, ported to the Neo Geo and the Neo Geo CD. Uh, Sunsoft got it across to the SNES in 93 and the Mega Drive got it uh, in 94 but apparently the, I think the Mega Drive uh, version is quite crap by all accounts it's very very choppy yeah I did play it a little bit recently because I'm a big fan of World Heroes yes it's a Street Fighter ripoff but I love the character design I particularly loved how all the characters were people from history or fiction and I'll get onto that when we get into the challenge because both the characters that are picked for this challenge are based on real historical figures. Yeah, it's a fun little story, isn't it? You know, it's this doctor who's created a time machine to find out who history's greatest warrior is. This Dr. Brown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it proper feels like it would be something that would have done quite well in Sonic the comic. Kind of like, you know, it's, it's Eternal Champion sort of era. Now, the fun fact is with Dr. Brown, who was the man that created this, when he got released in a collection, they expanded his name. He was then known as Dr. Brown Sugar, which means he <laughs> went from being a Back to the Future ripoff to being a heroin dealer. <laughs> but the design on this is so much fun. The characters are lovely and big and bold. And you had deathmatch mode as well. Yeah. Which was directly inspired by Japanese professional wrestling of the time and the rise of uh, IWA, of Wing, of FMW, and all those crazy bastards that were basically wrestling in rings coated in barbed wire and explosive boards and occasionally tanks with piranhas in and very, very occasionally the ring is floating in the middle of a pool surrounded by landmines. <laughs> Suddenly this game doesn't seem so far-fetched with or without Dr. Heroin. For this challenge, young Chris Brody will be taking on his sister, who's a bit of a gladiator in her own right. Please welcome Auriga Johnson. <laughs> welcome, Auriga. Now, Auriga, we had your partner in crime, John Fashionu, on the last series, and he was pathetic. Yes, really. I watched him, actually. I've been, I'm a keen fan of Games Master. Uh, are, are you going to keep the side up tonight? I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it. Yeah, no, I've, I've been completely useless, and I'm certainly going to give it a good try. Well, I find your honesty very refreshing anyway, Auriga. <laughs> now, let's move on to Chris. You must be the favourite tonight, Chris. OK, <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you going to give your sister a chance at all? No, not at all. No, not at no. all? <laughs> well, listen, um, what characters are you choosing? Chris, what are you going to do? I'm going to be Jay Khan because oh. he's big and large and 
Scary Scary. And what about you, Ulrika? I'm uh, Janet or something, I think. So what, what will we see from her then? Well, she's got a fierce sword and she's uh, rather slim and slender, so I think she'll be able to jump over him and oh. hopefully. Oh, hi. <laughs> and playing this challenge, we've got Chris Brody, full name Christian, uh, who'll be taking on his sister, Ulrika Kakakaka Johnson. Her career was just about to go through the roof. She had gladiators, she'd escalated up from being a TV weather girl, and the sky was the limit at this point. But yeah, as you've just alluded to, her time on Shooting Stars will be some of my fondest memories, I think, because there were times when she was completely lost to the joke, but there were other times where she was as in on it as anyone on that show. Ulrika, Ulrika, <laughs> how are you getting on with Stan? <laughs> you couldn't resist it, could you? I can't do it. <laughs> Do you play a KP up together? <laughs> <laughs> Ulrika... I wish you all the best together. What do you reckon, six months? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, just carry on. Six quiz. months, imagine that. It's a that. quiz, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> What a fabulous little show Shooting Stars was. And yeah, Ulrika Kakaka was like perfect, perfect casting for it. I think we owe a lot to Shooting Stars because while it really was just Vic and Bob arsing about but in a quiz show format. There are so many shows that have come out now that I think owe them a debt of gratitude. Cats does Countdown. Mm, Eight out of yeah. ten Cats, the original. Taskmaster. Yeah. It's that kind of family and idea of comedy of this is what makes comedians laugh. Yes, absolutely. Last thing on it, fair credit to Bob Mortimer. The man has turned his life around mm -hmm. and he's and doing wonderful now. In fact, I'd argue at the moment in time, he has more of a career than Vic. Yeah. Uh, well, and we're going to see Vic in a couple of episodes time, actually. He's going to be on the show in the Celebrity Challenge. I think next it's episode. actually, this is the next episode. It is the next yeah. episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you thought, well, they haven't talked about shooting stars enough, never they worry. It'll be back next week. The other thing that I always remember about Ulrika Johnson, particularly from this era, because she became quite the celebrity and she was always in the papers over various different things. Like she was almost the original wag. Like she dated Stan Collymore for a bit. And then quite famously, she uh, dated England manager Sven Goran Eriksson. I mean, you say dated, she was the other woman for a while. Yeah, absolutely. They, they had a proper full-blown scandalous affair. Mm-hmm. She also won Celebrity Big Brother in 2009, beating what a lineup this was: Coolio, Vern Troyer, Lucy Pinder, Latoya Jackson, and would-be games master host himself, Terry Christian. Yeah, I'd have probably picked her as the winner of that as well. That's a that's a hot mess of a lineup, that is. <laughs> So I tried to do a little bit of research on her younger brother here. So it's it's half brothers, like it's a, it's they've got the same mother but different father, um, Christian Brody. And the only thing that I could find from him uh, was an article that he wrote where he came to the defence of Ulrika Johnson because Vanessa Felt had called her on a TV show a trollop. Uh, I think this was probably during all of the the Sven stuff, and uh, this is what he wrote. I was still quite young when Ulrika first landed the job of presenting the weather on TV AM. From being a rather anonymous child at school, I suddenly became a mini-celebrity in my own right. She then landed presenting roles in shows that were exactly the sort of thing me and my friends were watching at the time. I was 11 when Gladiators first aired, and the trips to Birmingham to see the show being filmed were hugely exciting. Then, just as I was growing out of Gladiators, Shooting Stars suddenly became the thing to watch. When I had a subscription to FHM in the late 90s, Ulrika was a regular cover star and was twice voted one of the 100 sexiest women in the world. 
Her posters adorned many of my friends' bedrooms, and when she came to watch me play football, it seemed like the rest of the school turned up as well. See that last bit? That must have started to get awkward because... (laughs) Teenagers having subscriptions to FHM, let's be honest, it was primarily for one reason, and your sister's in it. <laughs> yeah. But like, what I really liked about the article, you know, it was him coming to her defence of like people ragging on her in the papers. And I think that they've still got a really strong bond of a brother-sister relationship, despite quite the age difference that they, they have. And I think that's quite evident in this challenge as well. Oh, they were a brother and sister having a laugh on this. Yeah. There, there was no pretension. There was no behavior must be a certain way because we're on television. They may as well have not been there as the celebrity challenge. They could have just been there as a brother-sister challenge. Yeah. It almost felt like Ulrika Johnson was approached because, you know, she's doing gladiators and they've already had the gladiators on the shows. So they're like, oh, Ulrika, will you come in and do the celebrity challenge? She was like, yeah, can I bring my brother to play the games with me? Because that'd be really fun. And to be honest, she could have probably afforded a Neo Geo at that point anyway, so it would have made <laughs> rehearsals a lot easier. It's on that gladiator's money. Oh, man. A wooga. <laughs> but this is also another example of the crowd going mild because holy hell, even Ulrika Johnson couldn't get a rise out of them. Yeah, it was weird, man. The air horn probably came with her because those air horns were all over gladiators as well. You mentioned Awuga earlier there, and Dominic Diamond also brings up Fash being on Series 1 and being... I mean, he said he was quite rubbish, but he wasn't that bad. He, uh, he was quite competent playing the game back in Episode 1. Awuga says she watched him and claims to be a fan of the show. Dominic looks a little bit sceptical, and to be honest, so did I. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I also love Arika not knowing the character that she has been told she has to play as. She's like, it's Janie, Janie or something? It's Janie or Janie, but realistically, it's Joan. Joan, It's yeah, Joan, Joan of, of Arc. Arc. Although here as a blonde, which I've never pictured Joan of Arc as, maybe that's Bill and Ted's fault. <laughs> I was going to say, I, don't, I never pictured Noah's wife looking like that. <laughs> The door's behind you. I'll finish this one up by myself. You can go now. But yeah, she's facing off against her brother, Chris, who is playing Jay Khan, Genghis Khan, Mm -hmm. a fierce and merciless hand-to-hand combat export that happens to be made out of a tower of wooden blocks. This This is the whole idea that the World Heroes is made up of famous figures from history. So you've got Joan of Arc, you've got... Genghis Khan. You've got Rasputin, who is actually just called Rasputin, and Muscle Power, who is a pro wrestler. Because when you think of famous figures through history, actually coming out of this, yeah, it would be Hulk Hogan, wouldn't it? Absolutely, it would be, yeah. Guiding me gently through the strenuous rigors of this challenge is Mega's very own Neil West. Welcome, Neil. Hi, Dominic. Now, Neil, two very different competitors here. What tips can you give them? Well, both of the characters we see here have special moves, much as you'd find in Street Fighter 2. Um, So I think both the contestants here just have to find out what they are and use them to full effect. And might I just say that even though I think Chris is the better games player, I still fancy Ulrika. I'm sure you do, Neil. Back once again like a renegade master, Neil West is in the booth (laughs) to guide Dominic Diamond and our contestants through this game. Uh, So they've both got special moves like you do in Street Fighter 2. And while he thinks that Chris is the better player, he still fancies Ulrika. I bet you do, Neil. Chris better get used to that because that's going to be happening a lot. So the first, like, this is kind of split into very much two modes. The first round here is that Chris gets what he needs to be doing here. He does a few flying head burts. He, like, Ulrika has figured out one of the special moves, but Chris pretty much sort of dominates his way through this and picks up the first win. And I thought to myself, uh-oh, I think Ulrika might be in trouble here. And then Ulrika 
comes out the gate in the second round like all guns blazing and Chris cannot get started. Ulrika dominates it, completely smashes him up and poor Chris looks well embarrassed that his sister has just beaten him out of this game on national TV. And there's almost this pang of fear like, oh, bloody hell, I better not lose the whole thing. She does great. It's an almost perfect round. It really is. And it's because she knows what Chris is trying to do. She gets his tactic. And his tactic is a fairly standard one in one-on-one fighting games. Box into the corner. You box him into the corner, you do some juggling combos, and you just don't let them get out. Even when Ulrika escapes the corner in that first round, the damage is already done. She's already down to like a sliver of health, and it's just one hit, and she's away. And then she kind of brushes him a bit Yeah. in that second round. And it goes to the third round. This is not someone that's never picked up a joystick. This is someone that knows their way around a D-pad. Absolutely. So with those fast punches, Rika pulls at level. So it's one all. If you'd like to see who wins this match between Chris Brody and his big sis, Rika Johnson, join us after the break. Always the same restaurant. Yeah, I thought we had this thing under control. What? Can we afford another scandal? Even the children have started Excuse to ask me. questions. I'm sorry. You wouldn't happen to be Italian. Yes, Emma. Opera lover? It's always Italians. Has she talked offshore investment yet? I think we should uh, leave before the paparazzi get here. Which one in the kitchen? Golden roasted, richer, smoother Nescafe Gold Blend. I don't know why I let you do that. Because I... You serve better coffee. Besides, I love you. Hi, I'm Nigel Mansell. And you know, I'm not the type of guy who buys his family presents that he really wants for himself. That's why I bought my wife Nigel Mansell's World Championship game from Nintendo. You have to choose the right tyre, pit stop, and race against the best drivers in the world. It's just like the real thing, and my wife loves it. Right, darling? Hi, it's uh, very realistic, Nigel. My little girls love it too. Right, twins? Completely true. Hey, even my dog loves it. Right, Fang? Woof. So, there you have it. I think it's a wonderful game, and if your family's anything like mine, they'll love it too. Right, girls? Right, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're out on your own. You're simply divine. You see to me, you're a dish that's nutritious, delicious, divine. It's not surprising you help us grow. So appetizing, a mixture we want you so. Welcome back. Things have never been tenser on Gamesmaster. Gladiator's favourite, Ulrika Johnson, is stuck at one apiece with her younger brother, Chris. It could be anybody's fight. Now we've got to the final bout. Are you ready? Then off you go. We come back from the ad break with Dominic Diamond describing it as Ulrika as the babe on the right. It was the 90s after all. (laughs) So Chris gets down to about half energy quite early on here. So it really looks like Ulrika is going to pick up the win, but then starts to string together a series of juggling moves in the corner. As you say, he really gets into that tactic. He gets the win. It's victory for the fat bloke. I really enjoyed that challenge. And even though it was a victory for the fat bloke, it wasn't a clean hit. It was a double hit. He took damage at that point. So Ulrika was fighting right until the end. Two out of two challenges. This was another banger. It is rare to get a celebrity challenge where it is celebrity versus someone that is the target demographic for the show, where the celebrity actually puts up a good fight. This was one of them. And all the way through, whenever they cut to Ulrika and Chris, that sibling love and rivalry is there, including the whole she's trying to cover his eyes, she's (laughs) ribbing him. Balls to Vanessa Feltz. (laughs) absolutely balls of Vanessa Fels I really really enjoyed that challenge now listen at the start Arika I thought you were dead and buried but you had a brilliant comeback there in the second bout yes I think I managed to get him at least one aura bird which is my special move but I'm afraid in the third one um, this big gross repulsive figure managed to take me over completely that's true it was one way traffic towards the end (laughs) mainly the fall of this young rascal here (laughs) Chris, that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing to your sister at the end there? Well, um, she got me in the second one, so I had to get her back. And Dominic Diamond praises Ulrika Johnson because she brought it back in the second round. She says that she actually managed to get her special move done a couple of times, but was beaten by an awful sweaty man. She even knew the name of the move, the Aura Bird. Mm. And then they start scolding poor old Chris for what he did to his poor big sister. And Chris said, yeah, well, I had to get her back somehow. Really, really sweet stuff. I, I Honestly, Ash, I cannot tell you how much I love this. I, I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It wasn't the tidiest gameplay, but that's something we've said about a lot of the one-on-one fighting games we've had but it was a lot of fun the game looked and sounded great the challenges looked and sounded great the commentary was fun enough it was great i was smiling throughout this entire challenge so luke before we leave the celebrity challenge i can see you've got your hardback flopped open once more what have you got for us yes well Ulrika johnson does feature in the star riggers uh, dominic diamond has to say one of the nicest experiences of my short but action-packed life was Ulrika coming out to the rig She was an absolute sweetheart and a big fan of the show. Show with a capital S, it must be said. In fact, she kept bringing up all these times from the first series that even I'd forgotten. 
Obviously, I was desperate for her to win and in practice she was looking sharp. Unfortunately, she was taking on that most dastardly of difficult opponents, the little brother. As they began to play world heroes, all the family ties went out the window as Chris pasted his sister in the first bout. Not to be outdone, Ulrika stormed back in the second round and we went to the commercial break facing a very tense situation. Despite a brave attempt, Chris kept Ulrika pinned in the corner as the character Big Mogul Bloke knocked seven shade out of Ulrika's lithe, nubile babe. Character to leave Chris with a golden joystick and to me to console the fourth most beautiful woman on the planet. Games playing skills, three stars, personal niceness, all the uh, all the stars. It's actually an infinite amount of stars. Awesome. Love Games Master. Welcome up to the helipad. How can I brighten up your little life? I'm having a bit of trouble on Super Mario World. I can't find the secret exit of the Valley of Bowser 2. Can you help me? This little problem can so easily flummox the foolhardy. You will need to fly Mario off the top of the screen and guide him left, as can be seen on your screens at home. Mario won't be inside, but he'll soon reappear with Key and Keyhole close at hand. Thanks a lot, Games Master. Our first kid in the consultation zone is stuck on Super Mario World trying to get that second exit on the Valley of Bowser 2. You need to go over the top of the screen, walk to the left. Bloody love me, the 96 exits. Love this thing that Mario does where you go off the screen. One thing that I think we've sadly lost with the 3D Mario games because it's much more difficult to do when you've got a free roaming camera. <laughs> yeah. I actually watched the Super Mario World race uh, while I was editing the last podcast, uh, episode 16 that we put out on Monday. It was from uh, SGDQ 2019 between Seathorn, Truman and TNT and it was the 96 exit race. And it's just, it's, I, I really do recommend if you If you're into watching people competitively race through Super Mario World and just see people being like at the top of their game playing this uh, and just bossing it through, because they do it in just over an hour. It is quite remarkable. Wow. I don't think, I, I mean, I know obviously it's competitive, but I don't even think I'd enjoy the game at that speed. <laughs> it would be motor memory. It would be it would be muscle memory. It wouldn't be any sense of actual, I don't know. It would be a skill, but it wouldn't be the sort of skill I like to associate with gameplays. But fair f- to them that they could do it in that time. Hello, Games Master. On Sonic 2, is there any cheats for infinite lives? No, um, there isn't, I'm afraid. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Well, our second kid, I mean, he says that he's stuck on Sonic 2, but what he's stuck on is acting. Yes, this plucky young Sprout wants to know if there's a cheat for infinite lives in Sonic 2. And the Games Master chuckles and says, there is a dumb afraid. Bye bye. (laughs) And thanks a lot, says the child with acting. Hello, Games Master. I've been able to save up all my money from chimney sweeping to buy a copy of Sonic 2. Caught blimey what? lover duck. Boy, it's Christmas Day, sir. <laughs> buy a goose, balls to that. Mortal Kombat for the Mega Drive. Hello, Games Master. On Zelda 3, how do I get to the Tower of Hera? Go to the top of Death Mountain and you will find a warp into Dark World where you'll be changed into a pink rabbit. Walk left, stand in the middle of Spectacle Rock and then use your mirror to get back to light work. If you then walk northeast, you should reach the tower. Thank you very much. And our final child is stuck on Zelda 3. Can't get to the Temple of Hera. And basically, I mean, we found this a lot during the Zelda 3 uh, hint, which is like, go to this area, warp to Dark World, go to this bit, walk back to Light World, and then you can get to the bit that you need to get to. Also, you become a pink rabbit. Yeah. 
obviously. I mean, a crucial step that he misses in this is that you also need to get the magic mirror from the old man, but I'll, I'll forgive Games Master on this one because I think you can basically do it this way. He's also maybe assuming you've already got the mirror at yeah, this point. Exactly. Yeah, But that's all that he's prepared to divulge for this week because apparently the monocle is giving him a migraine. He needs to get his prescription checked <laughs> or clean the bird. Well, it's time for our final challenge and we're not heading on over to old Chrome Dome. We're going back to Dominic Diamond. What are we playing, Dominic? It's all commerce challenge time again. The big question is, will anybody beat the Nintendo champion Thomas Patterson? Let's find out and welcome him back. Now, Thomas, the big question is, will anybody ever beat you? Never know, but I don't think so. Okay, some more potent words from you there. Well, listen, please... Someone beat this guy. I want them on the first chopper back home. So if there's anyone there who thinks they can beat him, please stick your hands up. Okay, let's think. No, not you, not you, not you. Oh, there's a gentleman at the top there with a sort of trendy uh, centre parting on your hair. Yes, you. Would you like to come on down? Give him a round of applause. Get on board. Okay, what's your name and from whence do you hail? Scott Naylor and I come from Rugely. So Scott, what's your challenge for Thomas tonight? Take him on at hang gliding on pilot wings, please. Right then. Thomas, what are you like in the air? I'm not bad. I'll have to see how it goes. I should win, but I might not. <laughs> Lovely words. There must be a bit of Shelley in you tonight. That's right. It's the third Patterson challenge with Nintendo champion Thomas Patterson, who Dominic really, really wants to see beaten this week. So do the crowd. They wake up to boo the shit out of him as he comes down. He gets a proper panto villain boo. It was the most enthusiasm the crowd had showed up until this point was basically to boo this guy. He's also got a very, very odd style where he is both humble and he is braggadocious because he will say in the same sentence, he, you know, can anyone beat you? Oh, I mean, you never know, but I don't think so. Or in the case of this challenge, when he's asked if he, how he feels about it, and he goes, oh, I should win, but I might not. <laughs> it's so non-committal. He almost has a career in politics ahead of him. What do you have to say to the minister's statement? Well, I can't say I agree with it, but I might. <laughs> Well, he is up against Scott Naylor, who wants to play Bloody Pilot Wings. Can't argue with it. It's one of Dom's favourite games. It's one of the director's favourite games. It's one of my favourite games. Okay, let's play some Pilot Wings. While our chopper scrubber Ian's hunting high and low for a copy of the game, I'm going to have a little chat with Jim Douglas from the Games Master magazine. Jim, any tips for how our competitors can hit that target? Yeah, certainly. Finesse really is the key here. Once you've caught the thermal and got up high enough, you've got to do a nice straight arc round and head for the landing zone. You've really got to be very careful not to make any sudden movements or it could end in tears. OK, I don't know if you're talking to them or me there, Jim. Well, Jim Douglas from Games Master magazine is in the booth who says that finesse is the key here. Don't make those sudden movements or it could be curtains. Dominic Diamond's not sure if he's just talking to him. Good banter from these two. You can tell that these two have fun and it's probably, and it's probably a camaraderie that they built after experiencing that disappointing He-Man grill in Birmingham, which must have been after a long, hard day at the Games Master live show. Can you imagine the disappointment of four chips? That's going to be stuck with me for a good long time. So yeah, so we're playing Pilot Wings. Now, last time we had the skydiving challenge. That was a brother-sister challenge as well. Mm. This time we're going for one of the other events. We're on the hang gliding. Now, most of the hang gliding events follow the same formula, which is you start at one height, you use an updraft to get to a second height, and then you have to land. It sounds simple. It isn't. Mm. Like rising to the right height is, but then nailing the landing 
deceptively difficult. And the really bad thing is I'm actually pretty good at pilot wings. And if I think about this challenge, I balls it. Oh, really? So it's all bone by instinct. Yeah. If I, if I focus too much, I do worse than if I just kind of play it proper casual. But I was excited when I saw what this challenge was because one nudge one way or the other and it's disaster. Well, Scott is up first and when he hits the draft and shoots up, both Dominic Diamond and Jim Douglas are expecting him to go right and he actually goes left. And Douglas goes like, oh, I think he probably should have gone right there. Maybe he knows something that we don't. Like he sounds genuinely worried about this. But this kid knows what he is doing with this game, does it very well and gets a great landing in the target for 90 out of a hundred it was virtually perfect he made that in a minute flat and you know what i just said about if you actually think about it you do worse after i'd seen this kid do this challenge the first time i watched this episode i grabbed the switch and i tried to replicate what he did couldn't do it couldn't do it because i was trying to follow someone else's example and I had this brief moment of, maybe I suck at this now. <laughs> so then I went back and I just did it the normal way that I would. And I think I got 90. I got certainly up there. It was 80 or 90. But his way of doing it was genius and also immediately set the bar very high because essentially to win this, Thomas has to get a perfect exactly and they even say as much that this is virtually impossible for thomas to beat and like dominic saying what can he do and douglas can only say well yeah he's got to get an absolutely perfect run he needs the perfect landing and he very much doesn't he doesn't he kind of cocks this one out of the gate because he immediately starts dipping which you shouldn't do before you get the updraft now he corrects himself and he catches the updraft and up he goes And he does what most people do. He banks to the right. He goes around to the right because then you get a nice, steady approach. And realistically, what he was probably hoping for wasn't necessarily to beat him, but he was hoping for the same gambit we had in the Curly Challenge, which is you have to beat the champion and a draw does not count as beating. Mm -hmm. However, there is a little bit of a crosswind that is affecting him. And yeah, he struggles to adjust. He struggles to keep the glider straightened out. He comes in low, but he comes in too low. And not only does he not hit the center of the target, he barely avoids crashing into the river. It's not great. No, it's not a pass mark. You can tell because when they show the score, the instructor looks very disappointed. (laughs) I hate that dickhead. I hate getting a disappointing look from that guy. Yeah, he only managed 60 out of 100. Scott is the winner. Thomas Patterson has been dethroned. The king is dead. Long live the king. And his subjects are ready for him as they are chanting his name. Thomas has scored a total of 60 out of 100. It's not good enough to beat tonight's winner, Scott Naylor. Okay. Calm down, man. Scott, you brought an army of fans with you. Was that the difference? I think so, yeah. It's just luck. Oh, I don't know. 90 out of 100. That must have been quite good, though. You must be quite pleased with that. Yeah, I've been practising. You obviously have. Now, Thomas, beaten at last. What's your excuse? No, I've not played it very much in that, know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> He's a slippery wee character he is. Aren't they just? I can't believe this was spontaneous. There must have been a cattle prod involved because this audience, <laughs> Jesus. And Thomas basically says that he's not played Pilot Wings a lot, and that's why he didn't win it. Uh, I mean, Scott says that uh, he got lucky 
bullshit made you bloody won because you were better at the game. I think the luckiness was in picking a game that Thomas hadn't played that much or the game being chosen that he had played more, depending on which way it was done. I can understand why Thomas might not have played this game this much because a lot of the other challenges were on games that were competitive games. Pilot Wings is a single-player, relatively light-hearted and calming experience. It's not until the final mission, the final secret mission, where suddenly hang gliders are out of the window, you're no longer parachuting, you're in an attack helicopter with infinite <laughs> ammo trying to rescue your instructors who have been kidnapped by an evil organisation. Honestly, being defeated by a performance like that is nothing really to be ashamed of. Absolutely that not. was an absolute banger of a challenge. Dominic is overjoyed because it means he's no longer going to have to deal with any Celtic jokes. The dinner gong strikes and brings another show to a close. Before we pop off, we're going to have a little 3D test out just now in preparation for next week's challenge. So if you've got your 3D glasses, whip them onto the bridge of your nose now. This is just a little taster of what you can expect next week. Whee! 3D knives ahoy! Okay, I'm off now for some Sprat Nibbles and a Spicy Cajun Dip. If you want to see more 3D, join us next week. Good night. And Thomas has been defeated. Scott wins the joystick. And that brings us to the end of the show. But before we get out of here, it's time for a 3D test because we've got a 3D challenge next week. So the camera switches and Dominic Diamond pulls out a knife to go like, wee, it's like Friday the 13th part three. Just, whoa, it's near the camera uh, for you to have a test. So I did try this because I've got a pair of red and blue glasses and it did give me a headache. But you've told me there's a reason why. Yes, as far as I can tell, the glasses that were given away free were red and green, not red and blue. Aha. Uh-huh. The 3D pages in the magazine do work better with red and blue. I did take a quick look online for red and green 3D glasses. There weren't any I could see that I could either get quickly, cheaply, or worth it for a one-off. Mm. I had to dig around for my red and blue glasses, which are actually proper sunglass oh, types. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I was on a bit of a kick of watching VHS rips of uh, old 3D movies and... So getting a pair that was sweat resistant seemed quite good. <laughs> but yeah, the 3D doesn't work very well. And to be honest, even if it had, <laughs> it, it was no Friday the 13th part 3D. It was no Jaws 3D. It was Dominic Divend waving a rubber knife at the camera. And literally going, Woo! <laughs> In fact, I think the 3D effect I just did on the webcam probably worked slightly better. Uh, and on the menu tonight, we've got Sprat Nibbles with a spicy Cajun dip. The second part of that sounds quite lovely. I was going to say, I guess we're having dip tonight. <laughs> Have you got the spicy dip? No, it's just the way my trousers hang. <laughs> Hey. Well, that wraps it up for episode 18 of series two. Ash, what did you make of it? This was a stellar episode, let down by two things. One of which was the 3D test, which I'm not going to blame them for because wrong colour glasses. The second of which was the crowd. Mm. This episode deserved a better crowd because that first challenge on Alien 3, two seconds left on the clock a real ringer of a kid because at the beginning it didn't look like that kid was going to go anywhere and he absolutely blew that challenge away and it is a tough challenge. Review section, fine enough. Lack of a feature was kind of sad but I think I know why and it's because celebrity challenge 
was actually not that short. It was a full three rounds and it didn't look like they cut much of anything out of it. And then they follow up the consultation zone with a pilot wings challenge. And there's many things you can say about pilot wings. Quick zippy game, it is not. No, it is slow. But no slower than an actual hang glider, really. No. Despite the lack of a feature, despite the anemic crowd, and despite the fact the 3D didn't really work, I love this episode from beginning to end. It was an absolute cracker. Everyone seemed like they were having fun. Ulrika Johnson seemed like the nicest person. Jazz Rignall didn't seem miserable. What more can you actually ask for? I mean, I'm with you on this one, dude. This, for me, is like a 90... It's actually 93%. I was even thinking 94. I just... I loved everything about it. Loved the first challenge. Loved the celebrity challenge. Loved the final challenge. The review zone was fine enough, but I did get to hear the Zen and 2 music, so that's always a bonus. The lack of feature was a bit disappointing. I think that's probably my only negative against the show, aside from the crowd. But we saw Super Mario World and Zelda 3 in the consultation zone, like two of the big hitters for the time. I am I was mad in for this, mate. I absolutely loved it. And we got to see a Cockney street urchin being dismissed by the Games Master for asking for a Sonic 2 cheat. <laughs> it was great. I'm going to go with 93%. It's 1993, 93%. There was two ways I could have taken that, 19% or 93%. <laughs> or in the middle, I could have gone 99%, but no, we're never going to get a 99% episode. That doesn't happen. Not until that Christmas special with Dave Perry, anyway. Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager. But before... (laughs) (laughs) But we're a little while off of that, then. That is going to wrap it up for Under Consultation this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do consider giving us a subscribe on the Apple Podcast and a little rating and review. Thank you to 20 Sen, who left uh, the review saying, Loved Games Master, you'll love this. Superb podcast, I came across it by accident. And being a fan slash big kid of Games Master back in the day... I had to give it a try. It's presented perfectly and brings back so many memories listening to it. I usually have to watch the episode after listening to it to visually see the nostalgia. Highly recommended. You can find us on the social medias. We are on Twitter at underconsolepod. We are on Instagram at under.console, where I've now posted up the video of me doing the Tasmania challenge from episode 15, I think it was, which was a lot of fun to do. And it is hilarious to watch it because you can tell that my wife was working in the other room and I was trying not to be loud and disturb her. Even when I did complete the challenge, I literally go like, yeah, yeah, I did it. It was like playing video games in the library. It was like, yeah. <laughs> There are other ways to interact with us other than just social media. You can head over to our Discord. Yes, we've got a Discord. No, we don't exactly know what we're doing, but you can come and join us along for the ride. The link can either be found in the show notes or on our social media. Another way you can support us is by going over to our Patreon. Now, £1 level, basically you get our thanks. We love you for it. £5 level... We still love you, but you also get the podcasts a week early and ad-free. £10, you get a little bit of extra special spicy Cajun dip love. You also get the episodes a week early and ad-free, plus you get a merch pack. Now those merch packs are flying out to the point where I am having to order some more Patreon backer exclusive variant mugs. (laughs) All the original lot have gone. You get a mug, you get stickers, you get badges, and you get a discount code that will get you £5 off our first t-shirt, which proudly displays 
are bespoke under console pod handheld in a style very reminiscent of the original Game Boy box. And shout out to those £10 backers, Adam Ducker, Adam Warrington, Cliff Foster, Gordon Dempster, Misha, Sumra, Nick, Rich, Sean, Simon and William. Thank you all so, so much. You guys rule. Absolutely. We're very, very fortunate to have a lovely bunch of backers who clearly believe in this podcast as much as we do. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very, very much. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will be back next week in three dimensions, but still in an audio format. Uh, Take care, everyone. We'll see you then. Good night. Knocked seven shades of Ulrika's knee. Sorry. Knocked seven shades out of Ulrika's lithe nubile babe. Nubile babe. Nubile. Nubile? Yeah. Nubile. Knocked seven shades out of Ul. Knocked seven shades out of Ulrika's lithe nubile bile. Cra- characters. Wait, 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 I said wait, wait. It again. Nubile bile. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Not seven shades out of your. Ure- <laughs> now I said urethras. <laughs> Not seven shades out of this better will stay in. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.